Well, good morning, you guys. Thank you, thank you. Good morning. It is so great to be with you guys. My name is Rachel. Um, most of you know me. I am a wife and I am a mom to two little ones, Judah and Eden. And the other day, I gave Eden a peanut butter spoon. And that's what she's really into right now. We love peanut butter spoons in our house. But there is one rule that comes along with eating those, and that's you have to be seated at the table. So she wanted one, and I was like, okay, Eden, sit down. Here's your peanut butter spoon. And she took it, and then she looked me right in the eyes, and she said, no. With a fury in her little eyes, and most of you know Eden, she is super sweet. I get a lot of like, does she ever cry? And I'm like, yes, yes, she does. But lately, she's almost two, and she's been getting super sassy. I don't know how somebody can be so cute and sassy at the same time. Zach says she gets that from me, but... Um, so she proceeds to run over to my white couch and I'm running after her in slow motion and she's having a fit and I'm having a fit because there is absolutely no eating on my white couch and she ends up getting peanut butter on it and I was so mad and if you're a parent you know these moments where you you're super mad and you feel justified being mad but you probably shouldn't be that mad but they should have listened to you right that was me. And, you know, after this, I was thinking about this interaction and going through, you know, how I could have done this better and what can I do to make this little two-year-old obey me? And I realized that I have such high expectations of both of them, my almost two-year-old and my three-and-a-half-year-old. I get so frustrated when they don't obey me, and she's only two. And I look at myself and how I respond when I don't get my way, and I am the same way. I turn into a little toddler myself. And I'm convinced that we never really grow out of this, right? Life is this constant journey of struggle to obey Jesus due to our selfish desires and our will. Many of you know we started this new series called Disciple. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus did. And we're in this process of redefining what it means to be a disciple in 21st century America. We're taking our, uh, our values of presence, relationship, and mission, and then we're stripping them down to their most important and basic elements and reevaluating our tactics and strategies for making disciples of Jesus here and now. I like this quote by Dallas Willard. He says this, a disciple is a person who has decided that the most important thing in their life is to learn how to do what Jesus said to do. So today, we're going to take a look at one of the most central teachings of Jesus, and it's the concept of love and obedience that we find in John's Gospel, chapter 14. Pray with me. Jesus, we thank you for your word, how it leads us into truth. I pray these concepts of love and obedience would just um, come into our being, that they would take root in the soil of our heart, Lord, and that they would produce fruit. We love you, Lord. In your name, amen. So let's read our teaching text today. This is John 14, 15 through 23. This is Jesus speaking. If you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. 
No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me, and because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Skipping down to 23, Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. The Bible has a lot to say about love and obedience. They are intimately connected. And while I think that the love side has stuck with us, right? We know as Christians that we should be marked by love. I'm not so sure the obedience side has. Most of you are familiar with the Ten Commandments. You probably had to memorize them in Sunday school, or maybe they're up on a weird wall in your house. Um, And in the Old Testament, there is this constant emphasis on what to do and how to obey God. It's basically thousands of years of God just relentlessly teaching his people how how to obey and them failing. And when Jesus comes on the scene, he begins to drill deeper down into the New Testament and focuses on the why we obey God and the heart condition behind obedience and introduces the Holy Spirit as helper. In the passage we just read, we see how obedience is equated to love by Jesus. Verse 15, if you love me, obey my commandments. Verse 21, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. Verse 24, anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And this is what I want to explore today. Are we really getting that to be a disciple of Jesus, we have to both love and obey? One of my favorite books is by Francis Chan. It's called Crazy Love. And he says this, Do you know that nothing you do in this life will ever matter unless it is about loving God and loving the people he has made? That's a strong statement from Francis Chan. And it's a little bit hyperbolic, right? Because obviously the things in our life matter that we do. But is our foundation as Christians loving God and loving other people he has made? If you haven't read Crazy Love, I encourage you to. It's like having a glass of cold water thrown in your face in the best way. And all this talk about obedience, the question remains, obey what commandments, Jesus? The Ten Commandments? Well, yes, they are still applicable to our lives, and we should follow them, right? But we are in a new covenant. So let's look. John 13, 34 through 35 A new command I give you, Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This commandment that Jesus gave is the only recorded commandment in the Gospel of John. Everything else that we say and do as believers comes down to this. Prayer, evangelism, repentance, generosity, asking, honoring, serving, feeding, sharing, all of it in the end comes down to love. And the essential question and the most important question is this, do we love one another as Jesus has loved us or do we not? And let's clarify a biblical definition of love so that we're all on the same page. This is 1 John 3, 16 through 18. This is how we know what love is. 
Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. What's painful about this is how simple this command is, right? My toddler could memorize it, love others but how hard it is for us to actually get it. I've been a Christian most of my life and I still have trouble loving well. Love takes effort, discipline, time, and I am so busy. Love takes vulnerability and I would rather not be vulnerable. It requires trust and I can be naturally suspicious. Love is messy and I like my borders of safety on my own terms. But here's the thing. Jesus did not offer this as a suggestion. Here's something you could do that would help you. This would improve your life. No, he said this as a commandment, meaning that this is not a matter of preference, but a matter of obedience. He is essentially commanding us to love one another as he has loved us, if we are to call ourselves Christians. I'm not sure how you feel about this, but if you're anything like me, you're probably like, that's a little much, Jesus. Maybe you could suggest it to me, and I will consider it. I can't just make myself love others. And I think some of us would argue that love is a feeling, and we can't fake feelings. But the thing about Jesus is that while action is 100% part of the process, he does not want us to fake it. He doesn't want us gritting our teeth and rolling our eyes through loving others and following the ways of the kingdom. That's not enough for him. He wants our true hearts involved. He wants the whole shebang. He wants a life laid down starting from the inside out. Sometimes it seems that this is an impossible task. But don't you yearn for that kind of love for others? Aren't we all looking for this kind of love? I hear people talking about it all the time. I hear myself talking about it all the time. But I'm not sure if I see the sacrifice that it takes to really live out this kind of life that leads to this love. It reminds me of when we went through the Unhurried series last year and we talked about the pace of Jesus, right? His pace is slow. And I think sometimes we like to fit Jesus on top of our already maxed out schedule. And he's like, Drop everything and follow me. He needs to be the foundation that our life is built on and not an added extracurricular. And what would our community and our church look like and our world if we wholeheartedly loved others like Jesus commanded us to do? It It really would change the world. And this is precisely the design of God to bring back Eden to a broken and hurting world. Renewal, lives fully alive. Remember, Jesus said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That is the marker of a Christian. And this is what it means to be obedient to God's commands. Love paired with action. This is also why he gave us the Holy Spirit the helper, the advocate, because Lord knows we need a little help, right? He takes our selfishness and he gives us his selflessness. He takes our weariness and he gives us his strength. 
He takes our hopelessness and he gives us joy. And he takes our fleshly mind and he gives us the mind of Christ. If you need help loving others, ask the Holy Spirit. He is ready and willing to help you. And while obedience is important, God is not solely interested in your obedience. The Pharisees and the religious leaders of the law were precisely militantly obedient, but their hearts were far from God. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 23, 27 through 28. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Ooh. Jesus did not pull any punches. He was really hard on these religious leaders because of their hypocrisy. The outside looked pretty good, but on the inside there was death and wickedness. And the way of religion is filled with pride and a need to look good on the outside. The temptation is still here for us today. Maybe now more than ever, it's hard to really let people see the messiness of our own souls, but it has to be exposed to the light. You see, God is not really interested in your obedience. God is interested in love that leads to obedience. That's because obedience without love is legalism. It's dead religion. And love without obedience is a lie. It's relational hypocrisy. I'm going to say that one more time because it's, it's full. Obedience without love is legalism. It's dead religion. And love without obedience is a lie. It's hypocrisy. They have to be held together in tension at all times. And as I was preparing for this message, I kept coming back to this idea of first love. It was impressed upon my heart, and, and it's been something that the Lord has been seek, speaking to me for the past couple months. And I think to really get this, we need to prioritize first love. I believe it's a key to obedience. Listen to this uh, scripture, Revelation 2, 1 through 7. This is to the church in Ephesus at the time. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. If you weren't sure before, it is pretty clear that God is serious about us being his first love. It's interesting to me that the fix for forsaking first love is repentance, which is just turning towards the Lord, Lord turning our direction towards him in repentance and doing, doing the things you did at first. It's a heart condition of repentance paired with action. This reminds me of when Zach and I were first dating. We obviously were on our best behavior. We went on dates, doors were opened. Everything was intentional and thought out. 
And as the years go on, the attentionality isn't always so easy. We have to remember and remind ourselves and stir up that love. We have to do the things we did at first. This is an analogy for the Christian walk too. We need to be spending time with Jesus undistracted. If I was on a date with Zach, I wouldn't be looking at my phone the whole time. No, for intimacy to happen, he needs my time and my attention and my love regularly. And that goes for the father too, right? He loves us, we love him, and then we are able to pour out to others. The first works that once once distinguished the church of Ephesus was that they possessed great spiritual hunger, which is why, by the way, we do things like 21 days of prayer to remind ourselves who is Lord, to stir up that hunger and zeal. They enjoyed rich fellowship together daily. They practiced the gifts of the Spirit. They opened up their homes and practiced hospitality. They were publicly persecuted for Christ at great cost to themselves and were quick to confess their sin and turn towards God. That is what characterized this vibrant and passionate congregation in their early years that Jesus called them back to. He urged them to remember, repent, and do the things they did at first. Again, love paired with action. If Jesus were to write a letter to the American church today, what would he say? I would argue that he would call for us to to return to our first love and to do the things we did at first. Our culture is an important factor in this conversation because it affects us more than we are willing to admit. 20 years ago, the foundation of most American family had Judeo-Christian values. This is rapidly changing. In fact, it has changed. The ship has sailed. Gen Z is the the first post-Christian generation ever. We have a lot of work to do. But this should not lead us to fear. Jesus is the head of the church, and we already know the outcome. He's building the church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. But as Christians, as representatives of him on this earth, we need to look at ourselves and evaluate, are we representing Jesus to this broken world by our love and by our actions? Again, Francis Chan in Crazy Love says this, Our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. Love without obedience makes us spiritually weak. And obedience without love makes us spiritually arrogant. You can't love God and ignore everything he tells you to do. And you can't do everything he tells you to do with pride and arrogance and selfishness in our hearts and expect to have a vibrant, life-giving relationship with Jesus. That's how the religious leaders of the day of the law obeyed the law, no love in their hearts. And when we look at our church or the American church at large and reflect on this, we realize that maybe the reason why we're not increasing is because we don't have a proper fear of the Lord. And we do not challenge each other to obey God's commands and teachings. And this is one of the many reasons why we are emphasizing following the ways of Jesus. Accountability and discipleship seems like they're going out the window. Our individualistic culture is pushing us towards isolation. You do you, I'll do me. And this is not the kingdom, right? Do we have people in our lives to keep us accountable? 
Have we created healthy infrastructure that a brother and sister in Christ knows what's going on in our lives? And I am preaching to myself. I don't know if I can honestly say that this is how my relationships are, but it's how I want them. We are meant to do life in community and we have to push back on how our culture is hardwiring us to be like. Practically, this is why we are asking for everybody to be in some sort of group where you're seen, known, and loved by other followers of Christ. It is essential for your health as a Christian. You know, the Bible teaches that Obedience to the commands and teaching of God has direct benefit to those who believe for both the community of God's people and for your individual self. Pastor and author Eugene Peterson describes this process in his book, um, Along Obedience in the Same Direction. He says, our lives are lived well only when they are lived on the terms of their creation with God loving and us being loved with God making and us being made, with God revealing and us understanding, and with God commanding and us responding. Look at how Jesus continues in John 15, five through eight. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such, branch, such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. The result of obedience, his word remaining in us, is that Jesus will abide in us. Again, let's look at it. If we remain in him and obey him, he remains in us. We will bear much fruit and the world will know that we are disciples of Jesus. And our prayers will be answered. Ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Guys, the deck is stacked in our favor. An obedient life with Jesus is a full, peaceful life. It is not devoid of hardships or struggles, but it is the better way. The way that we were designed to function. Part of my story is that in college, I wandered away from the Lord. I had a prodigal son moment where I left and I came back. And sometimes I process with the Lord about this now and I ask him, why did that happen? Um, and I think it's because I believed a lie. I believed a lie that the world's way was better, funner. I know that's not a word. More exciting, more fulfilling, shinier, all these things. I believed this lie. And I'm here to tell you that it's not. If there's any TAG students in the room, the world's way is not better. It will leave you broken and hurting and you will have a backpack of things you have to figure out later. The way of Jesus is how you were designed and how you were made and it is the most fulfilling way. And it is not about following rules, please hear me. It is how you were created to be made and God wants you to enjoy a full life. And if we're committed to that now in this little blip of time, here today and gone tomorrow, we get to enjoy an even more full and perfect life in the age to come. Worship team, you can come up as we move to a close. The final benefit of obedience, according to John, 
is that we will overcome the world. Do you believe that? Do we believe that this morning? This is the promise of our King that we will overcome the world. We get to enjoy the same benefits that Jesus enjoys. This means that through obedience, we will overcome sin and the things of the world will not defeat us. Love and obedience are the most potent and powerful combination for every Jesus follower. In fact, it is what makes you a disciple of Jesus and gives you the grace, strength, wisdom, and authority to make disciples. I realize that this topic can be a little bit heavy, but I do think that we need to have a proper fear of the Lord. You'll probably hear Zach say this and, and us say this, but we aren't playing Christian house, right? We're not just curating this beautiful service just for the sake of curating it for you to come in and leave. No, Jesus is after our true hearts, our lives being changed, and that's what we are after. And that is why we are reevaluating things as a church and pushing the ways of Jesus and pushing groups because it's how we're designed to function and we need counterformation. Culture is steamrolling ahead. But what I wanna leave you with this morning is that it is so worth it. It is so worth it. Love paired with obedience has great benefit for your life now, but also of the life of the world to come. And as I was praying for this message, the scripture popped up and it's how I wanna close. I'm gonna read it over you guys in a second. Um, and then we're gonna go into a time of worship. We're gonna have a time of response. We're gonna sing a song. Prayer teams are gonna be up and I encourage you to get prayer. We could all use a little prayer in our lives. So I just wanna encourage you guys to close your eyes, open up your hearts to the Holy Spirit. This is Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all of this and I will be his God and he will be my son. We love you, Jesus. We worship you this morning. We thank you that you gave your life for us, God. I just pray that every heart in here, God, would be um, open to you and open to the spirit this morning. We worship you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship.